Welcome back to Lawyers End Podcast. I'm Patrick Barnes. I am a practicing attorney in Tampa, Florida, and I'm also the owner of Legal Flow Consulting. I took a little break from podcasting. We are back, and with me now is a new co-host full-time. Uh, it's Dr. Michael Barnes. He's my dad, and um, you may remember him from episode one of the podcast where we talked about all things compassion fatigue, uh, secondary trauma, legal inform- uh, trauma-informed legal practice, and the whole gauntlet. Um, and we also speak uh, around the country together, and we make videos, and this is kind of just something we really, really enjoy working on together. So I said it would only be fitting that he jump on and become a full-time co-anchor, host, whatever you want to call it, of this podcast with me. So welcome, Dad. I appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for the invitation. Um, you know, I, I feel, you know, as a follower of it, it's uh, it's really, f- I've kind of had this feeling about being a part of it, so it's uh, really exciting and it's really interesting to, uh, you know, put, put this together, so I appreciate it. And we talked about your background and what you what you do um, in the in the podcast episode, but just as a kind of a reminder for someone that may not have heard it, so you are the uh, chief clinical officer at Foundry Steamboat, which is a, a residential rehabilitation uh, clinic. Uh, kind of give us a you can do a better job than me, obviously. Yeah, Foundry Steamboat is a residential treatment center for adult men over the age of eighteen. Uh, very co-occurring focused, uh, meaning we work on individuals with trauma and other mental health disorders as well as their addiction. Very strong family program. Um, as part of the foundry, I'm the founder and the director of the Michael Barnes Family Institute as well, which is committed to expanding family services for um, individuals with addiction and trauma around the country. Um, and then you're the owner of Barnes Education and Consulting, where you write and you speak and you consult and, and a whole bunch of other stuff about mental health in professions, yeah. which is exactly why you're a great co-host here, because we're talking about mental health and well-being in the legal profession. So, so today we we're talking about leadership. And we recently spoke in front of the National Association of Law School Administrators in Denver, what, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we put in our presentation was about the need for law schools to start to put leadership training in their curriculum. And um, we'll get to to Stephen and Leah here in a second and give them a good introduction. But we, in this conversation, talk about leadership and how many different definitions there are. And you can lead a whole lot of different things. And so law school tends to teach you, um, you know, about about law and about writing and reading and uh, talking. But there isn't a ton of leadership training in it. And so we talk about this in the presentation. It seems well received. And then this gentleman who was in the audience, Stephen Rispoli, uh, comes up and says, hey, I'm you know an assistant dean of student affairs at Baylor Law School, and we are teaching leadership in our curriculum. And he, he you know, so we said, we need to get you on the podcast. And, mm-hmm. and so this is basically how that conversation came to be. I, I thought it was fascinating. What did you think? Oh, I thought it was really fascinating. And I knew it would be. I thought, you know, they're not just teaching a class, but they have a whole program in, in leadership, fully bought in, and um, what was interesting to me was how much they're finding other schools are now coming on board with where they're headed, right? Which I is agree. exciting. 
So, so today, going back to, to the, the topic of the day, which is leadership, uh, we have two amazing people. We have Stephen Rispoli. He is the Assistant Dean of Student Affairs at Baylor Law School. And we have Leah Teague, um, who is also a professor of law at um, Baylor Law School. Um, and she's also a former Associate Dean, and she now serves as the Director of Business Law Programs. Um, and the two of them teach a course called Leadership Engagement and Development Course. And then Leah leads the leadership program, which, like you said, is kind of more all-encompassing than one class. So they're really pushing the envelope on this, and it seems like they've kind of become the go-to as other schools try to figure out how to put this in place, that um, they're the ones that people are looking to to say, how do we do this? What does it look like? Um, So awesome conversation. Um, Check it out, and uh, hope you enjoy. All right, we are here with Leah Teague and Stephen Rispoli. Um, Stephen is the Assistant Dean of Student Affairs at Baylor Law School, and Leah is a professor of law and the director of business law programs. She leads the leadership program at Baylor Law School, and the two of them co-teach leadership engagement and development, which is a course uh, that when I heard about, I was just... Very intrigued by, and we are honored to have them here today. Welcome. Welcome, and thank you, Patrick and Mike. We so appreciate the opportunity to be here and to speak with you. Um, Clearly, we have a common passion, so we're excited about this conversation. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, So I just want to, we'll get into your backgrounds and kind of what made y'all do this, but I want to talk right out the gate about this leadership program that you've built and the class that you're teaching at Baylor, kind of give us the the elevator pitch on what, what it is and, and what students can expect from it. You know, um, short elevator pitch is, is, is difficult. Uh, so let me kind of give you just a tiny, if you don't mind, a tiny bit of the background up front. I think maybe that will help. Well, it's like Would a that long be okay? It's like a long <laughs> elevator. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we know that lawyers are leaders. That's just a given. But how do lawyers become leaders is the issue. Historically, legal education ignored the fact that lawyers are going to end up leaders and just assumed that they would somehow become leaders. Or we often heard, you got to be born a leader. And it's just just works out that lawyers are leaders because they're born that way. And gosh, we just wanted to challenge that because we didn't think that that was that that was accurate. Uh, Yet what we knew was our Baylor lawyers were going out there and were disproportionately serving in leadership positions, and we were not being intentional about it. So we thought, how much more effective and how much better prepared might our law students be for those really important roles that we know they're going to assume after law school? How much better can we help equip them, prepare them, if we were a little more intentional, at least talking about the fact that they are going to be expected to be lawyers who are leaders in society. So that started us down this path of how much better a product could our beta law students be and how more effective, how much more effective could they be in their leadership roles if we started them out right and they weren't wandering through the practice of law trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I serve, live up to these expectations that society has for me. So that started us on this path. And then we had to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Stephen, you looked like you were going to say something. 
I was just going to add on to that. I mean, Lee and I bounce back and forth in the leadership class and it actually works pretty well. So um, what I was going to say is that it seems like for every law school, not just Baylor, the law students and lawyers picked up leadership habits and traits as they went through the practice, sort of just based on what mentor did they have when they got out? um, What experiences did they have uh, during law school and in their first years of practice? And sort of evolved from there and we thought that we could be more intentional about leadership training and so that's when we started to put together if we were to develop a course and a program what would we want that to look like and you know what skills did we think that lawyers needed i would i would love to say that there was a lot of deep uh theory thinking about leadership and the different um concepts and all that but we really just started to look at what's out there what do lawyers need to know how can we start to teach those skills in a practical way? And how do we prepare law students and lawyers to think about these things before they happen, as opposed to encountering a situation and needing to figure out in the moment, what is the right thing to do with this person that is on my team or this person that's an opposing counsel or this thing, this organization in the community that I've joined. And so that was really the focus of, of, of the early parts of the leadership program was figuring that stuff out. And you'd think that it, I'm sorry, go ahead, Patrick. No, please. You'd think that would be easy. So let's just see what other law schools are doing. Let's pick up and let's see what we can do to improve it. Oh, my goodness. Were we sadly disappointed that when we could not find a robust program, there, there there were a few, really few classes out there, but there wasn't a robust program. There was no real wave of intentionality in legal education. So... Stephen and I set about to kind of create this thing almost from scratch. And so we began to, to read everything we could find. We talked to some folks who were teaching. Um, we pulled together a small band of, of you know, passionate uh, individuals that we found who were interested in leadership development, specifically for lawyers. And from that, honestly, we have been part of a a national movement in legal education to create leadership programs to to get programs off and going. I'm hearing some feedback. Are y'all? Yeah, just a little bit, right? But but point well taken, I think. I was you 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 jumped right into my next question, which was, what are you seeing from other law schools as far as as this? But it sounds like not much. Well, so that, not- was, that was the original. That was what we originally found. I mean, there were a handful of law schools, a handful of law professors around the country that were doing this or had courses, things of that nature. But there wasn't um, well-developed textbooks in the area. Uh, there was not a roadmap for this is how you teach a class. Um, it was a bunch of people doing different things and lots of law professors came at it from different perspectives. And so we just kind of had to, to create our own thing. Uh, Leah is known around the country now among law professors as sort of the custodian of leadership development programs and has been tracking what schools are doing and what they're implementing over the years. And so it went from you know a handful, I mean, literally probably less than a dozen uh, in 2013, when we started this project, to by now, Leah, what's it up to now? Is it over 100? Yes, there are, you know, just shy of 200 ABA law schools that we're tracking. 
and we are as of last fall we'll do the we'll do it again this fall to see where we are but as of last fall we were just over 100 of those law schools have something that has leadership uh, in the title in the description uh, the learning objectives we, we've looked at sort of all things to find leadership language and intentionality to help our students recognize and be prepared for um, the role that they're going to play in in a, in a variety of ways. You know, I'll tell you, we also, uh, our definition of leadership, that was one of the first things we struggled with as, uh, as this band of, of, you know, passionate individuals as we gathered those first few years and wanted to do this. We really spent several years wrestling with is leadership is that the right word for us to use? Is that the right label to put on this thing? And um, recognize that it's probably not exactly right, but we couldn't come up with anything else. And here's why we were hesitant. When you say leadership to most people, they immediately imagine a position, mm-hmm. a title yep. that indicates some level of authority of one individual over others. Yep. And we are very intentional about telling our students, no, 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 that is not what we mean. Uh, you're going to be a leader, even as to your client, as you represent clients, advise them, advocate for them, because you are in a position to influence others and you're in a position to impact organizations and causes. So as lawyers, it is part of our professional identity. It is one and the same with who we are. So we we really come at it from that perspective of own, own the fact that you're in a leadership position by the very nature of going through the legal education and then getting that, 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 you know, license to practice law or be a professional in an organization. Yeah. You've just spoken to two of the questions that I had. And one was um, how different has the term leadership been operationalized um, across the field and you spoke to that but i was wondering you know was there a moment or a point in your careers where it just sort of came to you where leadership is the piece that's missing and or was it or or like i'm i'm always grateful that i had great mentorship as a doc student and professional identity was really driven home and um i, I don't think all schools in the mental health world where i live do that. And so I was just wondering, how did you come to the idea that we're either missing something or we're onto something? You know, I'll, I'll start there and then pick up with Stephen, because when uh, Stephen was one of um, my favorite law students and uh, he was the president of our student bar association, he came to me and wanted some leadership development for law students. So I think, you know, we can talk about that. For me, I, um, being a woman in a very male dominated, um, you know, profession, uh, I was, I've never been in an organization where there were all that many women, uh, in, in my position. So I've always been in a position where goodness, I had to really work hard to earn respect and a voice. And so I had studied in a sense, personally leadership since I was, you know, not, not long after law school. And I've been very fortunate to serve in a whole bunch of um, leadership positions, nonprofit boards, all those things that lawyers do. So I spent a great deal of time focused on leadership development for women, 
knowing that women need additional assistance and, and mentoring and sponsoring all those things that go with it in order to advance, especially in male dominated professions. So I came at this leadership world having spent a bunch of years really focused on leadership development for, for women administrators in higher education. I was part of a, a council that uh, advised the American Council on Education. We did leadership development all over the country, helped states create their own organizations to provide that leadership development. So it was from that space that I then, then began to look at, okay, wait a minute. What about my law school? What about legal education? And so uh, it was at that point that I was speaking on a panel uh, after having um, you know, written a chapter of a book on women's leadership for, high, for women in higher education. Another woman on the panel was Deborah Rohde. Um, Y'all may or may not be familiar with that name, but in legal education, she was an icon. Sadly, she's passed now, but she was a legal icon, uh, was responsible. She was one of the one of the individuals in the group that was responsible for the fact that all law schools now have professional responsibility as a required class. So she has been a mover and a shaker her entire career. She was a professor at Stanford and, and uh, forgive me, I don't remember her full title. She had a whole center that she was a director of and a chair and all those things that, that are, you know, important in legal education in terms of uh, titles and, um, and pedigree and all those sorts of things. But anyway, she's just an incredible, tenacious fighter for, for those things that she thinks need, need thought needed to be changed. And so it was at that meeting that I struck up a conversation and um, I, I honestly, I had to prove myself to her, but she and I became good friends. She and I became, um, you know, partners in this, this effort uh, because she was also focused on women's leadership in general. And she was, I didn't know it at the time, but she was in the process of finishing up a book, Lawyers as Leaders. Mm-hmm. And it was, so the timing was just perfect for the two of us to come together. And, you know, she had the name and Stephen and I provided kind of the uh, the horsepower to, to you know, get get a lot of the tasks done. And through that effort, we went to the American Association of Law Schools. So if you think about the ABA as kind of the national um, organization for the legal profession, right? Well, for law schools, the American Association of Law Schools is the organization that um, you know, we have to, that we are members of. And so we went to that organization and it requires a petition and a whole process, but we were successful in getting the, the we call it the double LS, to create a section for leadership. And um, Deborah was very insistent that that was a necessary step for this movement to be taken seriously. And that the other thing that needed to occur for it to be taken seriously in legal education is we needed significant scholarship to, to, um, to establish that this, this is a worthy um, subject matter, worthy of teaching, worthy of study, worthy of building uh, in legal education. And so we owe a great debt to her and her influence within legal education that allowed us, uh, you know, to get these, the efforts started. And then we found that there were a lot of people who understood and, and got it. 
So it has grown. Things move slow in legal education, but this movement has moved very rapidly. Um, I'll just mention that at the same time we're working on this leadership development movement nationally, there was another group, and and we are good friends and partners with this, this other group, working on professional, what is now called, wasn't then, but is now called professional identity formation. And that's important because that's now a term in legal education. And so they were working on professional identity formation. We were working on leadership development back in those early years. We're even having conversations. How are these things different? Um, Should we be doing these things as one or are they separate? And so that's been an interesting conversation and effort over the years um, to get us to where we are, which is, Professional identity formation is now required as of 2022. It's now required in law schools. The ABA changed our regulations. The ABA has standards for legal education, effectively the regulations for law schools, and that was added. And so while leadership is not required as part of um, the ABA standards, goodness, you know, you cannot separate professional identity for lawyers from the leadership piece. Right. So we've, uh, we expected our both efforts to grow significantly. Stephen, I'm interested um, in Dr. Teague, is it Dr. Teague, uh, Professor Teague. Yeah, in the, in the legal, uh, legal education, we're referred to as professors, even though we do have a Juris Doctor. Uh, exactly. All right. Well, so Stephen, kind of walk us through where your headspace was when you went in and said, I want, leadership training what what made you burst through the doors to say that you know um i'd been in several leadership positions both in undergrad and at the law school and just realized that there was a missing gap here and that i had learned a lot of things through my law school experience that helped me with leadership challenges in those organizations but had never really been had any formal leadership training and thought that that was something that the law school could do and have a more robust educational experience for law students. I wasn't thinking it needed to be only for, you know, people like me that had been in, you know, the apex position of an organization of a student organization, but you know, how much easier would disputes among members be if everybody had had some training on conflict resolution and everybody had had some training on working with other people and things like that. So that's when I came to uh, then Dean Teague and, and pitched this idea. And she said, I think that sounds like a great idea, but you have to help me figure it out. So uh, we've sort of been working on it together ever since. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, not just putting together their class, but also uh, putting together a program here at the law school. And then, you know, we've written some law review articles and other things and wrote a textbook. And so that was that was all great fun. I think it's interesting to define a leader in the legal world. And I think that was a really good point you made about you think about it being a position like you're a leader in the firm. You're the owner, the partner managing partner but the second you walk out of law school you're a leader and mm-hmm. even if you have your own solo firm and 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 Lee, i think your point about you're a leader to your clients is 
really true because what is a leader if not somebody somebody someone else looks to for advice and guidance and that's exactly what lawyers do from the essence of of the profession but even when you start at a firm you say well i'm not a leader i'm a i'm a you know beginner associate junior associate you're a leader to your paralegals and to your receptionist and how you carry yourself and how you treat others um even if you're not in a quote unquote leadership position is leadership. Um, and even how you conduct yourself in the community and in your own family. I, I think, I think we're all leaders even outside of the world of, of law. And so, yeah, I, it, I, so I did a group, just did a group called leadership Tampa Bay, which is it's, it was 53 professionals of all types of backgrounds, all types of jobs architects and engineers and marketers you know so and and i learned and that was my aha moment about law schools need to be teaching leadership is we had um a woman come in and speak to us and she's the ceo of of a really really um uh successful um lawn care company and she gave us like these are her seven things of leadership which i do want to get into um, like what defines a leader and what are some characteristics that y'all are teaching. But I was sitting there going like so much of this is not only being a leader to those outside of you, it's being a leader to yourself also. And if you can't lead yourself, then you can't lead others. And that was kind of my moment of going, we need to start putting this into what we're talking about. Cause we, we mostly, we talk a lot about mental health, compassion, fatigue, burnout, dealing with the traumas and the the stressors of the profession. But yeah, I mean, leadership is a huge part of that. So, um, you know, that's just kind of my, that was kind of my moment of going, oh, wow, this needs to be. Well, we completely agree. And, and really where we start all of our leadership training is leadership of self. So we've really divided the yeah. course and basically everything that we've done into three distinct segments. And there is overlap, but it's leadership of self. And then we transition to leadership with others. And then it's leadership within community. And basically it's what you, it's exactly what uh, you're saying that we're trying to help the law students and the lawyers that, that we work with figure out who they are and how they can make an impact no matter where they are in their organizations, in their law firms, whatever it may be. And then once they sort of figure out what they're good at and what they're not good at, it's how do I maximize my strengths? How do I improve on my weaknesses? And how do I make sure that I am doing the other things that are important too? Am, am I, do I have a, sort of a bigger picture of what wellness in the practice of law looks like? Uh, do I have a bigger picture of what are my future goals? Um, things like that. Then we transition to uh, leadership with others where it translates some of those things into working with a team and the personal dynamics there and conflict resolution and, um, you know, all kinds of things like diversity is, is always important in those discussions of, um, you know, making sure that everybody is included and everybody is being heard. Um, and then it translates and then, and then we go into leadership within community where talking to them about, okay, you've got, we've talked about you and what you want. We've talked about how you work with other people. Now it's about making a difference and finding the organizations or the causes that you're passionate about and doing something about those things. Um, one thing that I will add is that a really important skill, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things as a young lawyer, but one really important thing is challenging up. 
when when you think that oh, there yeah. is something that you need to push back on uh, with somebody in your firm that may be higher than you, how do you do that in an effective manner? Because there are a lot of bad ways to do it, but there are some really good ways to do it too. And for your relationship to be stronger with that person and to have a better outcome for the client. So I know that's, we a, have that's, that's, that's a great stuff. point. And I, I was just, I was sitting here earlier thinking, before this is over, I really wanted to make sure we got a question in about how are the leaders of firms um, adjusting to this leadership idea that um, here we are talking to firms about trauma-informed work and that there's different ways that you can work with, with your clients to maximize your outcome and compassion fatigue. Um, you're talking to them about this is what we're teaching that good leadership in the legal profession yeah like looks like like how how much are the heads head spinning in the the partners when these people are coming out so well adjusted because they have leadership training and they're starting to get trauma-informed training it's a lot different than junior associates coming out like 50 years ago or even like when i came out in 2012 like i'm interested to know have you all had any interactions with leadership that's a great question with leadership I just use the term with partners, I guess, or owners, how they are seeing people coming in now. You know, one of the interesting facts is law firms do leadership development. They don't necessarily call it leadership development. Some do. And, and some are beginning to do that. Um, so they do value it. And that was one of the factors that sort of gave us confidence that we were on the right track to do this in law school because we knew law firms were, were had programming to better prepare their younger uh, lawyers for uh, you know success as as they moved up. You know, I think if we can get to a day where all law students in every law school across the country or the vast majority of them have this leadership training, then I think the heads of those law firms will begin to see and to notice, you know, but, you know, do I think they, uh, the ones who know about us know what we're trying to do? I, yeah. It, it resonates well with them. They, they, they're in favor of what we're doing, but I, I don't think we've reached the maturation point where they're, they're kind of seeing the effects of students coming out. Not yet. This is such an interesting discussion because, you know, as a mental health person, I'm thinking about all the research that says that the mental health status of students by the time the end of year one and the end of year three, there's a deterioration and you're teaching, and I guess it's a selective group who chooses to enter your program. Do you have any outcome measures or any outcome data that would indicate that um, uh, students who are focusing on leadership maybe are able to maintain their mental health a little better throughout the law school experience? Or um, is that even a discussion in your leadership program? Definitely a discussion. Even? And I would love to tell you that we have hard data on it. We don't. What we do have is a lot of um, anecdotal data. We have the, the main requirement for the class is journaling. Um, we, we did not see this as something that would be good for testing the material. And so it's a lot of journaling. We'll have a discussion about a topic in class. And I do mean discussion. We try to make it as interactive as possible because the, 
the the thing that is most successful in in translating these leadership topics into understanding for students is them actually experiencing uh, experiencing a concept, not just us, you know, me or Leah talking about it. And so after the class is over, we try to come up with experiential questions that will get them to grapple with the subject matter and apply it to themselves and how they might use it in the future. And so as we go through that process towards the end of the class, we do start asking more intentional questions about um, how might you use this to ensure that you are taking care of yourself in the practice of law, even when it's stressful. And it's questions like that that we get sort of the aha moments of this was the class that I needed to re to reframe what it is that I'm doing here and what it is that I want to do with my life after the first year or two years even of law school where they sort of, you know, they sometimes lose that. At least that's what that's what we've seen being in administration so long is that that, that sometimes the the entering application personal statement um, sometimes gets lost and they shift their focus to other things. And this class has helped bring some people back to this is why this is why I'm here. Yeah. So, you know, our, our vision, ideally, these concepts would be introduced at orientation that would be reinforced in required classes and messaging in the first year. And then it would continue on with some additional opportunities in the second and the third year, because if we don't, continue to have these conversations to remind them why they are here, remind them of the difference makers they're going to someday be able to, to be. If we don't remind them, they get lost in, in, in you know, just the mass of, of information and, and technique that we're teaching them. And goodness, the pressures of law school and then the pressures of the practice just begin to mount and they lose sight, lose sight of the fact that what brought them to law school for the most of our law students is they're problem solvers. They want to help people. And how do they do that? And, and it, law school is so competitive. I mean, we do that to our students. We push them down those, those uh, paths. And, and law schools are doing a better job now, paying more attention to law students and, and, and their health. But we teach in this class that you can never be your best self and therefore, your best problem solver and advocate and representative, all those things you want to be as a lawyer, you can't be the best at that if you're not taking care of yourself. So we talk a lot about care for self as part, as Stephen said, you know, part of that leadership of self, and then try to reinforce that. And even the working well, it's working well with others. So emotional intelligence is, 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 is kind of our bridge from going from leadership of self to leadership, leading well with others. And the emotional intelligence piece is got to know who we are, have to be able to self-regulate and assess and reflect and all those things. Then we begin to look at other people. And so we, we love uh, the time that we spend with our students when they sort of see the differences but from that they have in terms of personality, preferences, thoughts, um, desires, goals, how they're different from others and yet how well they can all work together once they value those differences and invite those conversations and, and do it in a way that is, that is respectful and, and fun and healthy so that uh, it, it's about coming together as a team so that we can all move forward. And this world, you know, ideally someday will be a, a better place. 
How idealist, Pollyannish does that sound sometimes, no, I, right? I, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I thought yeah. I definitely agree. I want to, um, I won't go through the whole list of things that, so the, the woman's name was Jennifer Lemke. She's the CEO of Weedman. She's the one that spoke at this leadership thing and really did, you know, obviously I was in the leadership programs. So I, I myself was doing it. But I'm thinking like, whoa, A, lawyers need to be paying more attention to their leadership training. and But B, law schools need to be just inundating leadership techniques within all the different, you know, areas. And, and you mentioned it started orientation and then just every single year. But the two that really, the two, so what she called it was the, uh, like, the, like the leadership skills and she, and they're like pretty well known, but, but she did such a nice job of kind of capsulating. I want to get your take on it. Just two of them. One is vulnerability. And it's, her definition of it was owning up to one's limitations and asking for help. I think that's something lawyers need to, to do more self assessment on is are we because we're in a tough profession where vulnerability is not really something we would want anyone to see but if you do it in a good you know in a, in a moderate way i guess it's so helpful for leadership for your staff to see you in that way for your coworkers, you know your, your friends in the profession what, what do you all think of that when i say vulnerability you know, gosh, we're all over it. In fact, our um, we have just done two book clubs this last year focused on Brene Brown's books, yeah. Daring Greatly and Dare to Lead. So, yeah, it, that actually was our Women's Legal Society who hosted those. But but here's here's how I react to that. You are so right. But why is that so hard for us? Well, you know, our students come to law school with this image of what lawyers do and that image is based upon movies and TVs and it's not a good look for us. And, and it's honestly not real in terms of what we do. So we fight that image for our, when our law students are coming in and they come in thinking they have to be tough as nails. Y'all know that. Mm -hmm. and, and all those things that go with that. So it is in this space of focusing on leadership development that we create um, a, an environment that allows them to put aside some of those preconceived notions and, and you know, to get real. Um, it's, it's a humbling, difficult for some of our students experience for them to open up in, in ways and, uh, you know, sometimes difficult. I'll tell you, I think the fact that Stephen is a, is a man and me as a woman co-teaching this is very helpful in allowing the class to feel safe in this this environment so that we can, you know, open up a little bit. Um, I think, again, that emotional intelligence piece is pretty key, that we teach them that and try to teach that to them early on so that they have a sense. I now teach some other classes where I'm, I'm incorporating emotional intelligence into my client relations class because it's uh, it's just so important. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I will say that struck me about um, your comment about vulnerability is it seems like some um, law students and some lawyers have the notion that as a lawyer, you have to be great at everything mm. and that, you know, you have to be able to do every single thing um, perfectly and, and, and not really thinking about what are the things that I'm really good at? What are the things that I may not be so good at? 
And are there other people on the team that are really good at those things that they can, they can help me boost that, that side. And so the team as a whole is performing very, very well, not just each individual is performing very well. And so it's, it's that, you know, it's, it's the trial team where one lawyer recognizes that he might be better as a second chair to the first chair who's uh, really, really good at that. And that being okay, you know, there it's and maybe on a different case and on a different matter and something that that lawyer knows better, maybe he would be a better first chair than the high profile, you know. It's like the old uh, saying, some lawyers pound the book, some lawyers pound the table. Yeah. yeah, and, I can tell you one thing: I'm better at talking than I am at, at, at writing. It's just, but you, you know, ex- go ahead. No, no, oh, it's just. Well, that, I was gonna say, what better definition of leadership than putting people around you that are better at the things that you have limitations and being self-aware of those limitations, instead of saying I'm I'm the best at everything, to say I'm really not that great at maybe case law research and putting the best that you can find next to you and having that ability to work in tandem. That is that's leadership. Yeah, that's uh, so one of the reasons that we start with leadership of self, what we actually do kind of an introduction, what is leadership? Why is this important? But then after that, we spend the majority of the time we have them in class focused on that, that topic of leadership of self. And within that, you know, Stephen mentioned a couple things, uh, you mentioned, you know, wellness, very important part of that and Mm -hmm. goal setting and those sorts of things. But I'll tell you, we kind of feel like the foundation, and, and we didn't know this early on, and honestly didn't even have it um, honed in our first edition of our book. So we got there's some things, improvements we want to make in our second edition. Sure. But we've, we begin to look at leadership itself as kind of five core. We need to start with these concepts, grit, growth mindset, um, and, and then we'll get to resilience kind of at the end. But in between that, Helping students understand that failure is a necessary part of growth and you need to fail with grace. So grace to yourself, uh, grace to others in failing. And that as part of that process, that means you got to be willing to accept feedback, invite feedback and with a growth mindset, with a growth mindset and just as greedy as you can be so that we can get to the resilience, which is, you know, bouncing back even higher when we've, when we've hit a roadblock or, or, or a setback. So we, we now lay, leave, kind of lay that as the foundation for the leadership of self piece. And then we add those other pieces on top, communications, goal setting, vision, uh, wellness, uh, in that kind of leadership of self piece before we then move to the leadership with others. And, um, Stephen, I think this was your idea. We have a chapter in there on followership, which is not common in a leadership book, but mm-hmm. it's really important that we talk about those concepts of that, that helps reinforce that concept of, of team and approach. And, and each of us has value and, and roles to play that are going to change and shift as we put together different projects so I really appreciated that was um, so many contributions to this book from Stephen and and our our third co-author Liz uh, Fraley who just is a master with words and such a wordsmith. So we were a great team in putting this together and had had such fun um, sort of in the middle of COVID writing a code, writing a textbook. <laughs> it, would, it would so two things 
uh, I want to circle back on one is felt followership is an interesting term I've never heard of. Is that like the ability to put the pieces together and then let those pieces run and meld and learn from them as opposed to like micromanaging the pieces? Is that what that, okay, help me understand that term. So followership, at least the way that we talk about it in uh, our leadership class and the law students generally is that the, there are a couple of different things. Number one, good leaders are also going to be followers at other points. They aren't going to always be in the chair making the decisions. They're going to be working with others. And, you know, you may have appointed somebody to take lead on a project and then you need to support that person and help them, you know, make sure that, that project goes well. But, you know, we talk to them about about how to be a great follower of a leader. And it is a bunch of different things, but it includes things like um, it, maybe I can do this better with an analogy. As, you know, you want to be the kind of follower that is anticipating what the leader needs before the leader realizes that he or she needs it. And then coming up and figuring out the solution and presenting them that, that solution of, Here's the, here's the problem that you are about to have, and here's the solution I've already come up with. Now, they may not go with this solution, but the fact that they've been presented with something in that way means they're able to make a much better decision than uh, the employee or follower that comes to them and says, hey, we've had this problem. I don't know what to do. You tell me what to do. And so we try to help law students think about that process and that you know they're coming to their senior partner on this case with an issue. And if they come to them with the issue and say, "Here are the three, you know, here's the issue, and here are the three ways that I've thought about how we can handle it," they have, they have, that's a much, much better um, solution or you know, group uh, teamwork than just the coming up to them and saying, "You know, you got to tell me what to do." But then the other way is also have to be willing to look for ways to support others, and that's and that comes in various forms. And so we talk to them about how to do that and how to do that well. Um, including being able to step out of the role of leader because somebody else is taking lead and working with that person, supporting that person. Yeah, well, like what's a more leadership characteristic than being able to take a step back and let someone else run with it? I mean, that is because so many people that claim they're leaders have to be the spotlight at every moment. And and that's not a, that's the anti-leadership characteristic. So I like that. I've never heard of followership, but I, I, I dig that. Yeah, that's important. You know, the research on burnout generally speaks that the problem with managers is they're either too collaborative because they're afraid to lead or they're not collaborative enough because they're afraid to give people responsibility. And so they have to control everything. And so the, the followership piece really kind of I, I always think of athletics and you know a, a good coach the team wants to they know what he's looking for i had a supervisor that used to say um what interests my boss fascinates me and the idea of i have learned what he needs what he wants how that works and i give it to him and that and we're successful and it works great and and he's been promoted to the he's eventually was the CEO of the organization. And so um, I think that followership is such a missed, like we don't talk about that. I, I don't. Well, and yeah. especially since they're, you know, the, the law students are gonna be in that position probably when they, when they first get out of law school, that if we have intentional conversations about how to do that piece really, really well, 
then they'll be all the more successful. And that's really what this is all about is helping our law students be as effective as possible the minute they walk into the door with their organization or law firm. Yeah, so that's an important piece of the the leadership with others, working well with others, the concept of being a part of a team. And then, you know, without us getting too heavy handed with pushing one particular leadership style, we both very much believe in the servant leadership approach. And so th this is just all very consistent with helping our students cool. find ways to, to add value to any organization, regardless of the position, regardless of the authority, to just sort of figure out what they need to do and to step in and do it. And that really comes back to characterizing what, what Bader lawyers are known for. Um, wh whatever job needs to get done, they figure, you know, they're not afraid to roll up their sleeves, dive in, get the work done, and, you know, make sure that, uh, that we're moving this thing forward. And then I wanted to sort of, here's, here's sort of my as I think about what I'm trying to do, which is, you know, help students be better than I was coming out of law school, what was it that I missed the boat on? And this is, man, we're just hitting it. I missed the boat on understanding how important relationships are because I was, you know, from the time I was in elementary school, I was the, you know, the workhorse. You need a job done, you give it to Leah and it's going to get done. And even in the practice of law, I worked really hard. And I thought, as long as I just work really hard, all's going to you know, be well. Well, no, um, that gets you so far. But it's important that we learn to work well with others. And it's so interesting that that has become even more important um, as AI continues to encroach upon oh, the yeah. skill sets that, that leaders, uh, that, that lawyers have been hired for in the past. So if we look at what's going to be left uh, in the future, it really is about relationships and the people skills and the things that a computer cannot do, which is the, um, you know, advocacy analysis. But really, it's all in relationship to putting pieces together. So there's a lot of emphasis on understanding how to that relationships are important. Mm -hmm. um, and in today's environment in person that you can't, uh, you know, they're going to miss something if they are working only remotely, in, in my opinion, and a lot of opinion of a lot of others. So it's understanding that people are important, relationships are important, and then how do you do that well? And so that's why that leadership, um, the followership leadership of uh, with others, relationships, emotional intelligence, and this is where we, we also emphasize um, the importance of diversity in, in the sense of we're looking for inclusive diversity, um, looking for an environment in which invites and values differences in, in, a, in a way that is respectful and all of that. And so we talk about cultural competency. We talk about unconscious bias. We do all of that. That stuff is part of that as we help them learn how to relate well with others as they work together. I wish that class was available when I was in law school. <laughs> and and yeah. I went to Florida Coastal, which is now gone, but um, it, it, they were really big on the soft skills. There's a lot of like, uh, I can't remember the term. It was like um, practice courses or something you know, like mediation. And it's like the, the ones that are like, tr they tried as best they could to kind of, uh, 
simulate the actual practice. But this class, I mean, yeah, this is so necessary. What y'all are doing is so necessary. The other you know, thing, oh, I'm sorry. The other thing I was thinking is, you know, when we talk about working with highly traumatized clients, we talk about the fact that they are assessing us way more than we're assessing them. And we think we're assessing them a lot. And that idea of those leadership skills that we've just talked about in the last, you know, 30 minutes are things that as a traumatized client, I want to know that this guy's going to be there for me. I want to know that he's going to respect me if I'm struggling and he's going to recognize those things. And he is going to be the leader of our case. And um, I, I haven't seen anything that would indicate that in all the speaking we've done on that topic, people have way more questions than they have examples of how that's being taught. I can, I can assure you. You know, I, um, I, one of the classes I've, when I stepped down as associate dean and stepped back into the classroom full time, I took a class that was called client counseling, and I've made it now client relations because I want to sort of emphasize, you know, these these concepts. So I teach this stuff, also some of it in. Uh, in the client relations, because, you know, the concept of having empathy, um, really active, um, you know, artful, careful listening, uh, you know, to your clients for the purpose of relating to them and, to you know, to see behind the person that's there, to, to know their history, to know their perspectives, because that will influence and inform how they're going to to you know hear you and and the decisions that they need to make so this stuff is so important you're absolutely right can can i share one more thing about kind of the history of this and how we kind of came to this um we we were had already decided we were going to do some this leadership thing we were still trying to figure out what that would look like and i'll be honest i came at it from the perspective of I know that our law students were going to become leaders and I wanted them to go out and to be, you know, to, to seek to be part of important causes and to be that just difference maker in society. So, you know, the third piece of our, our book and our, our teaching is the leadership within community. And, and there's a, you can think about as leadership for a, of a cause or, uh, you know, leadership of an organization or however you want to think about it. But, leadership with passion. So I was really, that was kind of the goal is, is I wanted to get them to the point where they were able to be really um, instrumental in, in whatever passionate way that they were, they were interested in. And um, as I was sharing this, you know, with, with some alums, I, I still very much remember and appreciate a pretty crusty older lawyer, older, you know, not, old, old, because honestly, he was very, not much older than I am, but he pushed back on me. And I really appreciated it because he said, oh, Leah, you ivory tower professor, pie in the sky, Pollyanna, that's all well and good. But what's in it for those of us who are here in the trenches? Mm. So when we talk about aha moments, that wasn't my aha moment to do it, but that was my aha moment to step back and to realize that everything we were talking about was really about being a better lawyer. Mm -hmm. The skill sets, the topics, it was how do we be a better advocate? How do we be more compassionate with our, with our clients? How do we be more true to ourselves and who we are? And so that there's, there's not a misalignment 
between me as the professional, the tough lawyer out there, you know, knocking people down and, and who I really am and what I really care about and what I really want to do. So, you know, how, how do we do this? And so because of that and us stepping back and relooking at this, we've come to understand that every aspect of what we're teaching in our leadership class and in our leadership program, as we do any, any programming through the, through the leadership program, we're really after making them better lawyers and helping them find significance and meaning in the work they're doing because they understand themselves better. They can work well with others better. And now they have a sense of who they want to be, where they want to go. And, and, you know, how do we get from where we are to where we ultimately want to be and along the way, be adaptive and ready to move and shift and all those things that, that lawyers need to do if they're going to have a life well lived in the law. That's such a good way to describe what I was going to say is the second thing that I thought Jennifer Lemke said so well, which is of good characteristics of leadership is patience. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly that to say, to have the, the, um, what was the word you used? Um, emotional intelligence to do self-reflection and say, who do I want to be? Who do I want to serve? You know, where do I want to go? And then realize that's not going to happen overnight. And and so her way of saying it was patience, taking a long-term viewpoint, which kind of steps into the world we've, we've been talking about, burnout. It's the first symptom of burnout is disillusionment. And, and when you're dis disillusioned because you're not where you thought you'd be, you're not making the money you thought you'd make, you're not making the difference in the world you thought you'd make because it hasn't happened in the first year of your career, having that emotional intelligence and the ability to have those, those soft leadership skills to say, it's going to take time. I need to adapt. I need to evolve. I need to grow. Or as you said earlier, I need to take that criticism and be selfish with it and use it and adapt because of it instead of getting mad because someone was, God forbid, you know, gave you some criticism that those are, um, those are such important leadership skills. And one that I don't think I ever learned in law school was, hey, guess what? You're not going to come out and be a rock star next year. You know, it's going to take time. Yep. Grit, growth mindset, learning to fail with grace, accept feedback for the piece that you can learn from, and then have that resilience, which is a long-term gain, not short-term. Right. It's, you're in this for the long-term. And we talk to uh, students about their long-term goals. I mean, one of the journal prompts is, what do you want to be, um, you know, what, what is your plan for the next six months? What is your plan for the next year? What is your plan for the next five years and start to get them intentional and start. And then, you know, it's very easy to put out this big goal out there and then say, God, that's overwhelming. I don't really want to deal with that. And so we get them to break it down into bite-sized pieces that they can get to where they want to be. And the other thing is um, I feel like sometimes students, have a goal that is way off in the distance and, you know, it's the thing that they came to law school for, but then they end up getting a job at a big law firm and mm -hmm. all the things that come along with that. And what I always tell them is it doesn't mean that you can't have both. You know, you, you should have a service interest that is beyond just what you're doing in your practice of law. So how do you find the, 
the nonprofit organization or this or the legal aid organization or whatever it might be that benefits your practice area that um, you know is the you are interested and passionate about it and it's something that you think that you want to do for a long period of time and really grow in that area and then it's a win-win across the board and so yeah. we we get them to look for those opportunities regardless of where they land after law school That's yeah and so the last two chapters of our book uh one the next to last chapter is called the complete lawyer service and significance and we define for them the complete lawyer to be, and by the way, we sort of label this is what this is what we want our our beta lawyers to be. Uh, they are to be a technical expert, and with that, you're striving for for excellence in everything that you do. You're acting with honor and integrity. All those, you know, ethical requirements that we hope is just natural to them. That then will lead them to be a wise counselor. If they do a good job, so we always start with man competence. There is no substitute for being a really good lawyer. Competence is 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 important as the foundation. That's what leads you to people looking at you and saying, "Ooh, they're really good." And so you end up in a position of being the wise counselor. And then, um, and and to be a wise counselor, that's where we want them to think about who they are, what are their morals, what are their guiding principles, so that when the pressures of practice are are looming down and just crushing them, they're not acting inconsistent with, with who they truly are. So you got to set that in stone before you get into those situations. And then it's because we're technical experts, we're really good at what we do. And because people view us for our judgment, because we're viewed as wise counselors, that's what allows us to end up being effective leaders in all sorts of positions. And so that that is a, a piece that we come back and talk. We, we introduce them early on. And those three terms come from a white paper published by three Harvard lawyers, gosh, in the early uh, 2000s, which were really just to remind us as a profession who we are. The histor histor historical role of lawyers was threefold. It was technical expert, wise counselor, effective leaders. And so it's just reminding us and so we jumped on that and, and used that as uh, as part of our definition. And then our very last chapter in the book is titled Legacy and Impact, mm -hmm. where we're doing, as Stephen suggests, uh, shared with you, we're, we're encouraging them to think now about who they are, where they want to be, and to begin to create plans to get them from, from here to long-term goal of whatever it might be. What year did they take this class? So they can take it in their second or third year. Um, and so we've sort of, you know, it seems like it's become more of a third year class, which um, I think has actually worked well in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, it, at Baylor, our third year is our heaviest year and that students are busiest during their third year going through practice court. Um, where it's very rigorous program, uh, teaching them procedure evidence and trial advocacy. Uh, but yeah, I think it actually complements this class very well because they're getting messages that puts into context all the things that they're doing. Why is practice court hard? Why is uh, this so rigorous? And it's, you know, we're, we're providing those answers, but in a different way. And in a way that sort of is a light bulb moment for this is why this thing, this stuff matters. 
Well, yeah, Florida, and that's the Florida bar makes you take courses after I think it's within the first three years of being licensed, and this should be a course that's in that. Like you should have to have your leadership CLE credits as much as any other, you know, credit. Um, because not only is it beneficial for third years, but then you can come out and start to practice and start applying it. Be like, oh, that's why that makes sense. And and so maybe, you know, I think beyond into CLE territory with this this stuff. Yeah, you know, we we absolutely understand this would be very good. And we've talked about that. They're just, you know, there's us and there's that capacity issue. You know, yeah. I'll tell you the other law schools that are adopting this. They're also using it as an elective class in the second or third year. Um, I, I like what um, our colleagues at Texas A&M just up the road from us here in Waco are doing. They've got an introduction uh, to these concepts in their first year required class. And I think that class has a professional identity name to it. And then our friend and colleague, Eric Short, teaches as an elective class and he's teaching it as a third year class. And I think that works really well. My only concern is, as is, is, is we talked about before, these students need first, second, and third year exposure because it really is a building concept. How do we build on these these concepts from first to second to third? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you had made the comment that I just loved was that you start talking about this at orientation. And if they don't hear it again until year yep. three, then it's sort of like gets lost in that shuffle. And, um, you know, if, I agree. It would be great if it was, you know, we when we look at multiculturalism in the mental health world, we don't have a class on multiculturalism. It's interwoven through every class we teach. And so I would think that would be like a goal down the road to where leadership becomes a part of every class that is taught, that that's a lens, one of the lenses that students kind of learn to look through as they're learning. And I don't, I don't even know what all classes you all focus on. I'm just, you know. <laughs> no, but you're exactly right. I mean, that is something that Leah and I have talked about quite a bit is we, we do wish that this was something that was in every class and there are opportunities in every class. I mean, I'm, a, a case where some lawyer did something unethical and have a conversation about that and why that's wrong. I mean, that's that's also in the PR world, but it's also the but it also gets in the leadership or the your client has this legal right and you need to counsel them why that may not be a good thing to pursue. And so, you know, those those things we think of as lawyer tasks, but they're leadership, too. And so and there's lots of opportunities to do this and we could be much more intentional about it. Well, I, I'm just so happy y'all came on and, and talked to us about this. I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm glad to hear that other law schools are jumping on board. Uh, it, it's so necessary and it needs to grow and become, you know, more and more in, in inside of the, the whole law school and also inside the profession, frankly. So I, is there anything we didn't cover? Or do you feel like uh, plug your book? Oh yeah. More, so in, we're, I'll put in the link. Uh, on the podcast where we can get the book. Um, so anyone listening that wants to read it, um, there will be a link in the podcast summary. Um, but yeah, any anything else? Yeah, no, thank you. That It, it is an Aspen book. And I'll tell you that we were very intentional when we uh, decided to do this book 
that the chapters be written in such a way that you could take a chapter, which is a topic, and teach that just as a standalone session. Mm-hmm. But you could also then put this together. And ideally, you could take this from you know first year through third year and have various uh, pieces of it. And we we wrote the book in such a way that if if you haven't taught leadership or any of these particular topics, you could pick up our book and we give you the resources, we give you the background, and we give you exercises, we give you journal prompts, we give you discussion questions. So we wanted to make it really, really easy, especially for those that didn't think they would be qualified you know, to teach something in this area. But we know that's not true because lawyers are all leaders and they just need some help. So that's what we've done with this book. I'll also tell you that Steve and I are, are we love to visit with people about this. And so we've, we have a standing offer for anybody who's using our book to just, you know, you have a question, want to talk to us about, just pick up the phone or send us an email, um, call us. We'd love, because this is, this isn't about us. This is not about us. This is about the profession. This is about the impact that lawyers have in society and the good work that we need all lawyers to do in terms of owning this responsibility to society and then being better prepared um, for that. And, and we truly believe that if, if, if lawyers can take some time to focus on these things, there will be less burnout. Mm-hmm. We will be a healthier profession. And, and this, this country and our democracy will be stronger because of the important role that we as lawyers play in guarding the democracy and rights and individual liberties and all that that, that, that we are charged with doing but also just be a, a, a better society. One thing I'll mention about the book, it was not just designed with law students in mind. I mean, we, we were pretty intentional about writing it so that law firms could pick this up and use it in their leadership programs. And, um, you know, it, it is intentionally not fundamentals of law student leadership. It's fundamentals of lawyer leadership. And so everything has been written with that perspective in mind as well. And some as, as our call as our, Third author, Liz Fraley likes to say, some leadership books are so dry you have to soak them overnight before they can get digested. Before you can, before they become digestible. It's true. Um, we we tried to write it in a way that is interesting and uses lots of stories uh, to connect these points. So we tried to make it fun, uh, or as fun as a you know textbook can be. But uh, that was the goal. Yeah, Liz, our our third um, author and our 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 friend and colleague and partner, she is a just a master at wordsmith. Uh, she's a trial lawyer, longtime trial lawyer. So yes, uh, she is. Uh, she has made it fun as well. We've Very we've good. threw in some stories too, but I gotta I gotta you know Liz is just incredible. She made many contributions to it, but uh, the voice is is hers. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for having the, the good fight doing with, with trauma-informed lawyering and helping lawyers figure out burnout, not just for themselves, but for others, is really an amazing thing and something that we need so desperately in the profession with all the statistics that are out there about the legal profession and lawyers individually. So thank you for spending your time to work on that and to make our profession better. Absolutely. Yeah, all thank right. you. It's great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, y'all.